The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, and welcome. Today, we are going to radiate purpose with Joanne DiMaggio, who does some very fascinating work of life between life hypnosis, which is a little bit different than the traditional past life regression, but I'm sure there is quite a large component of that. If you ask Joanne DiMaggio what her her sole purpose is, she gives her answer with a smile. I am a reporter for the universe. Joanne says writing is part of her spiritual DNA and sees her soul's mission in this life to observe, record, and disseminate information about her particular area of expertise in esoteric, esoteric studies, which is soul writing and past life exploration. That is fascinating. Joanne, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Wow. Um, so... This is quite a big handle and quite an important responsibility is uh, soul writing and past life exploration. You've been doing this for how long now? It's been 30, a little over 30 years, since 1987 when I first became involved with the Edgar Casey Organization, the Association for Research and Enlightenment. That, that was my starting point professionally. Right. How did you get involved? How did you even know about Edgar Casey's work? Well, um, you know, I was born and raised Catholic and uh, went to 12 years of Catholic school and found that I had a lot of questions, that there are things that just didn't make any sense to me, especially the whole bit about you get one chance and that's it. It didn't make it, I didn't understand that. So I had a lot of questions. When I, by the time I became a teenager, I started reading books about reincarnation. I don't remember how I gravitated toward them or, or how that all came about. But I was reading books about Edgar Casey and books written by Ruth Montgomery and Jess Stern. And that answered my questions. And I, I thought, this makes perfect sense. The whole idea of karma made such sense to me. 
compared to the whole idea of, of sin. So um, I was, as a teenager, I was really, really enthused about this, um, not thinking that I had already had some hints about a past life as a child, um, because I was fascinated by the 18th century, 18th century American history. I couldn't get enough of it. I, I read every book I could read. I saw the movies or TV shows about it. Uh, I would wear my hair in ringlets. I would write with a quill pen. <laughs> I was a very strange child, <laughs> I admit it. Um, but then I got to be, um, uh, at the same time that all this was going on, I was doing the soul writing, but didn't realize I was doing that. Soul writing is uh, a form of, um, it's a written form of meditation. If that's an easy way to explain it. So you go in an altered state of consciousness and you start writing. I was actually using that to pass my, my uh, college essay exams because I, I would go into a class and, and I'd say, I, don't, I didn't remember anything and I didn't know the answers. And I thought, oh, I'll say a little prayer and, and uh, I'll, I'll see what happens. And the pen would just fly off the page. So I was channeling something or the other. Um, but, I, you know, then I went, kind of went to sleep, got married, had a family, uh, didn't think about it for 15, 20 years, whatever it was. And then Shirley MacLaine came out in 1987 with Out on a Limb. It was the big wake-up call for sleeping metaphysicians all over the world. And I was one of them. And when she started talking about her past life experiences, boy, did that perk my interest. And that was it. That I, I haven't um, stopped my exploration of past life uh, information, not only my own past lives, but then I started to expand. I started my own research organization outside of Chicago called Plexus. Um, and then I moved to Virginia in 1995. And, um, and I was working along with the ARE as well, uh, working with some of the top-notch past life therapists and authors. And, uh, and ARE being Edgar Casey's organization? Right, right. Because I wanted to find like-minded people and I didn't know where they were. You know, I'm watching this television program and I'm like, I'm so excited about this. I want to pursue this. Who can I talk to about it? Because I knew I couldn't talk to anybody in my family. I couldn't talk to my neighbors or my, you know, or, or my mainstream friends and colleagues. So I thought there's got to be people out there like me. And so I knew about Edgar Casey, but I had never joined the ARE or gotten really involved. But I did that year and uh, I got on the... Um, team for the Heartland region in Chicago. They were, they were regionalizing at that time, bringing programs closer to home for people across the country. I got involved there. And that's where I met a lot of the past life therapists and, um, and authors and some of the leading speakers from ARE on that topic. And I invited them then to come to talk to my past life group, my research group. And it just sort of um, built from there. Wow. So, Coming from this kind of you, your words, mainstream yeah. type of background, you know, wife and mom, Catholic schoolgirl upbringing, yeah. right? right? What did the people uh, around you think of the this interest of yours? Well, um, they really didn't say much of anything. You know, it was like I couldn't freely discuss it with them. I would 
you know, you, you test the waters every once in a while, you drop a phrase or something and you wait for a response. And I knew my family was, they were extremely tolerant, I would say that much, in that I could do whatever I wanted and I could pursue whatever I wanted, but it wasn't going to be the kind of conversation we were going to have over dinner. So... Um, I think my mother even said once to me, she said, you know, your father and I know that you're our daughter, but we don't have a clue who you are. And I thought, wow, on a karmic level, that is a huge statement because it was so true, <laughs> you know. So, um, but that was okay. I, I was able to uh, separate the, you know, when I'm with my, my I, I still have friends from high school. So when we're together, I don't really talk much about what I'm doing because I know they're not open to it. But yet they'll read my book or they'll, you know, uh, I'll invite them if I'm going to be in their neck of the woods. If I go back to Chicago every year, except this year, obviously. But um, and um, if I'm doing a, a workshop for ARE there, you know, I'll invite them. And, you know, sometimes they'll come and, you know, sit and listen. And, and uh, but, but uh, most of my my people <laughs> are through the ARE and also through Unity Church. Oh, so, yeah. Unity. Yeah, I got involved in Unity here in Charlottesville um, in 2009 and um, became a member. And now I host my ARE programs at Unity. So, so there's my other like-minded group of people. So between them, I feel like when I'm with them, I'm really comfortable to talk about all of this and to do programs for them and do regressions and things like that. So um, you just have to kind of find your niche. It's out there. You just have to look for it. Oh, absolutely. Right. There are people who are like-minded, but sometimes it's hard to find them. Yeah. And so you were doing all this past life research. So what were you doing hypnosis at the time? How did you do No, that? what was interesting is I had no intention of ever doing uh hypnosis or past life regression. I didn't see myself as a therapist. I, as I said in my, in my website page, I see myself as a reporter for the universe. I'm a writer. I've been a writer in most of, in many of my past lives, not most, many of them. And um, what I love to do is I love to do the research. I love to find out what everybody else is doing. I want to find out what everyone else's experiences are like. And then I want to write about them and then get that information out to the bigger public. And um, when I was first started my past life organization, I depended on other people to come in and do the past life regression work. Because how can you have a past life organization and not offer regressions? But I couldn't do them. So at one point, one of the ARE speakers, Henry Leo Baldock, he was one of the, oh, he was really... Um, I think in the 80s, he was doing a lot of uh, talks for uh, on that. So he's written, he wrote many books. He's passed away since then. But anyway, he was coming to Chicago and we had dinner and I told him my story and, uh, and about the past life that I believed I had had and all of that. And he, and he said, why aren't you doing regressions? He said, you know more about that topic than most of the past life therapists that are out there. So why aren't you doing it? And I said, because that's not my calling, uh, Henry. I don't, I'm not, he goes, you should do it. And he would be on me every time we would see each other. He was, you should be doing, you should be doing this. And finally, just to get him to be quiet, 
<laughs> I, I took uh, my, I got my certification through the Eastern Institute of Hypnotherapy. Um, and then um, subsequently took some other courses in hypnosis. I studied with Irene Hickman, who was the um, pioneers in, in the field uh, of uh, hypnosis. And, um, and then I got my, um, my uh, master's in transpersonal studies through Atlantic University, which is part of the ARE. And, uh, and then I got my spiritual mentor certification through them as well. So I started doing the, the, the sessions like, um, I think it was the late 90s when I actually started doing them. And um, I found that I thought, oh, this is great because now I can do my own research. I don't have to depend on outside uh, researchers because I'll have, I had clients coming to me. I designed the research project around the topic. So one was on physical karma, which was my book, Karma Could Be a Real Pain. Um, <laughs> and of course, this one was on uh, Life Between Lives. But I had other books, too, that I did that uh, showing how soul, you can use soul writing to get your past life information. So, um, so I, I would gather up all the information from those research projects, the, the sessions. Uh, sometimes they would take me over a year to get them done. And then um, off we would go. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So when you, when you learned that piece of hypnotherapy, you know, all, all breaks were off. Um, and I see on your website, you are a clinical hypnotherapist, but um, so you studied the more traditional type of hypnotherapy. Right. Right. Well. Yeah. Right. And did that, in, did that training include past life regression in between lives? It included the past life regression to a very small extent. Uh, and then, um, but because of my studies with uh, Edgar Casey, the I've been studying his readings for years. And because of my um, courses I was taking through Atlantic University for my master's, all of that kind of lend itself to um, pursuing it on a deeper level. Plus, I had been doing my own past life work, a lot of introspective work, not only on myself, but also I had my circle of friends included, included past life therapists. So how, how convenient to have, um, to have them work with me and then learn from them. And then, you know, I believe if you've done this work in other lifetimes, there's an element of it still within your soul that you can pull on so that's what I was doing. I thought, you know, Henry had said, you know more about it than most people. And I thought, you know, I do. So how do I apply it? How do I, how do I help other people? And I think because I went through my own uh, past life journey so deeply, I mean, years and years working on this one particular past life, um, I think that I had the, the, the temper for, the, the compassion for people who were, who were going through struggles that I knew were past life related. And I thought, you know, we can, we can work through that and then we can, um, you know, they can, they can go into the healing uh, aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There is a lot of, there is a huge healing aspect of this. Right. Um, when did you first make that correlation? About the healing part of it? Yeah. Oh, I think 
when I worked through my own issues and came out on the other end, sure. knowing how I felt going into it and how I felt coming out of it, there was that healing aspect of it, that ability to forgive uh, on a much deeper level than I had been before. Working with clients, uh, especially when I did the Karma Can Be a Real Pain book, that the research on physical, uh, how chronic conditions can be traced to a prior lifetime. Right. I had people who after the session were crying that they were so relieved, yeah. you know. And it wasn't, I mean, I had a certain percentage that had a spontaneous healing where the symptoms completely disappeared. Yeah. I had others, however, who just knowing the origin of it had a sense of healing because they got a different perspective on it. So and they understood where it was coming from and why, and then they knew how to work through it. So um, it was very rewarding, very humbling experience. I mean, I, I remember this one woman, she was 70 something years old. When she came to me, she was, had, was a retired psychiatric nurse. Mm -hmm. And she was having night terrors. Every couple of nights, she'd have these terrible nightmares, and she thought that she had been in a concentration camp because she was reliving uh, the same things that she would, you know, she, hunger, not having enough clothing, no blankets, being sexually abused, seeing children being abused, all of those things that, that happened to the Holocaust survivors and, and those who passed. Um, and her husband was just beside himself. He said, I don't know what, how to help her. Would you help her? And I, so I had her come in and she didn't go back to the, um, to the Holocaust. She went back before that because the situation in her life before that, in the lifetime prior to that, um, she had um, the same situation, the same environment that she was born into that mimicked what would have happened, the same things that would have happened had she been in a, in a concentration camp. Just knowing that, going through that one regression, what I love about past life work is that sometimes it's just one session. It's not like traditional psychotherapy where you have to go over and over and over again. This is usually one time. I don't get very many repeat customers. Um, but anyway, when the book was published, she and her husband came to the uh, book launch at Unity and um, they came up to me and hugged me and she was crying and she said, you have no idea how my life has changed because of this. So that's those kinds of testimonials from people, you know, I can't make that stuff up. They, they have experienced this on the deepest level and they're, they come and express that to me. And that's how I know I'm doing God's work. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing the work that's really, helping their soul to move on to the next level. And that's really what this is all about. Past life work has nothing to do with the past. It's everything to do with the present. So, um, so that's how, um, that's how I approach it at least. No, oh, yeah, me too. Because so many of our past lives, we may be completely finished with, right? Yeah. Nothing we're carrying forward, but it's the things that we're carrying forward. We need to know about because they deal with, we deal with them in the, the here and now. Right, so it's right, right, right. Um, and that's why someone would come to someone like you or someone like me to help with them because something's going on that is causing emotional turmoil, is causing stress in relationships, is causing physical pain that they want to get an answer to. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, you've done, you've written several books about past life, your past life work, your Russian sessions. Um, I'm looking at your website. I did it to myself again. So this is new. Well, this one I do want to circle back to um, life between lives and karma can be a real pain, which you did reference um, mm-hmm. how we carry physically uh, the result of our past actions from past life. Uh, your soul remembers accessing your past lives through soul writing. I, I've also heard it called automatic writing. And then they're different. Oh, they're, they're very different. different. Oh, oh, tell yeah. me about that, please. <laughs> um, with uh, soul writing, I, I, I did my thesis on that, and so I did a lot of research. And uh, Edgar Casey did a lot of readings on in, what he called inspirational writing. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, with automatic writing, um, there's, uh, there's a really strong chance of uh, possession because you're getting information from an outside source. Um, with soul writing, um, you always say a prayer of protection, surround yourself with white light. With automatic writing, most people don't bother to, to, to do that. Um, with soul writing, your handwriting stays the same. With automatic writing, your handwriting changes. Uh, with soul writing, you're, you're, um, you're being guided to, to do something. You're not, you're not being uh, compelled or ordered to do something. And in automatic writing, a lot of times the message will come in through the word I. Like you're communicating with somebody who's saying, I am you should listen to me, I'm telling you to do this or whatever. Uh, so there's that ego-centered uh, energy there, as opposed to soul writing, which is coming from above, through your head, through your soul, and out your hand. Um, so I have a whole list of the differences between them in my book on soul writing. The first book I did is soul writing. That, Like I said, that was my thesis for my master's degree at, Univer- at uh, Atlantic University. So... Um, Casey had a lot of studies. Uh, at ARE, they have some studies about people who, who would come to the ARE um, because of they got into trouble with the automatic writing. I got into trouble with it, and that's what I was starting to do when I first got involved in this work. I thought that I was doing automatic writing. Well, because that, that was the only term that I knew back then. And... Uh, and I had gotten into trouble a couple of times when I skipped the steps of saying the prayer and surrounding myself with white light because I could tell, I could feel it in my arm that the energy was completely different. Um, so the ARE lists um, automatic writing, I think is the number two no-no. It's right after the Ouija board. <laughs> so it puts it in that category. Right. Yeah, so that's interesting because uh, the way that I teach automatic writing is exactly what you're talking about with soul writing. Uh-huh. You just have to set an intention, who you want to contact, who you want to come through, usually higher self, and then always set uh, protection. And yeah, then- I think, you know, I think the thing is, I think it's an issue of, of, of uh, semantics and that right. you're, I think that a lot of people are doing the higher level writing but the only term they know is automatic. So they just call it that. But when I was reading a lot of these journals, um, psychiatric journals, when I was doing my research for my, for my thesis, that's where I started to find that there definitely was a difference between the two. And so my goal was to try to help to um, 
re-educate people about the proper term because I, I was afraid that some people might get into trouble with if they did the automatic writing and didn't know the difference. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of people I talk to, they'll say, well, I'm doing exactly what you're teaching in soul writing. I go, well, then you're doing soul writing or you're doing inspiration. You're not doing automatic writing, then, you know. But like I said, I think it's just the use of the word and what we're used to hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's essential to ask for permission and set intentions and that type of thing. So, right. um, but it is so powerful. I think it's as well to connect with our loved ones on the other side. So Yeah, you know, you can use it for so many aspects of your life. And um, and I, I, I in my first book, Soul Writing, I do have different chapters on different ways that you can use it. And one of the ways is is to acquire is to get past life information. Because I was I was listening to a um uh, uh a hypnosis tape about um, it was called start writing now I wanted to get past some writer's block and and start to write the kind of things I wrote because I was a in advertising and public relations in my real world life uh, and um, so I started listening to and when it was came time to write um, I started getting diary entries and they were from 1792 1803 and I'm like what is this and when I read them they sounded like some sort of a historic romance novel and I thought what is this I don't write like this and turns out that it was I had submerged my consciousness and allowed my past life aspect to come forward and she was writing the information about this previous lifetime. Frank DeMarco, who wrote um, Chasing Smallwood, did the same thing. And so I thought, wow, you can use this to gain past life information. So you could use it for psychic development. You could use it in, in art forms. Uh, you know, the, the process is pretty much the same. Um, so if you wanted to write poetry, you could use it. If you wanted to, and if you just set the intention and, you know, you're dealing with the, the processes, you know, dealing with the same source. It's how you, how you access that source and then listen to the information, the still small voice within that's guiding you into doing whatever it is you're doing. So it's, it's a, I call it the 24-7 phone home card. You know, you can call contact spirit, you know, I have got a problem here. So, I, you know, I teach people you could write a question and get an answer, you know, or just ask for something for your highest and best and get something. So it is, it is extremely powerful. And I do sometimes um, include them at the end of a regression because what I'll, I'll but I'll let, it, I'll leave it up to the person because I'll say to them, you know, sometimes you know this, they have enough after the regression and they're processing, processing, processing. And so they don't want any more. They don't want to go any deeper, but I'll say to them, if you'd like to go deeper, I'll go with you. And um, we'll both do the writing. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll keep, I'll bring them almost all the way back to full consciousness, put a pad of paper on their lap and a pen in their hand. And then I'll say, ask your soul if there's anything else that wants to tell you that you didn't get in the regression. And I'll do the same thing. I'll ask my friends upstairs if they have any information I can share with you. And I think everyone is deeply surprised at what comes out because they get the backstory, they get details that they didn't have before, or they get uh, 
guidance on what to do with this information. How are you going to apply it in here and now? And everybody is just um, really uh, taken with how profound that information can be through, through the writing when added to, to the regression. So it's got many uses. I love that. That is wonderful. We may have to do a whole episode just on soul writing, right? What what caught my eye about your work is, of course, I heard you on Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast. Jim has been on this podcast twice. Love that guy. He's the nicest guy, and he does such interesting topics. Um, This was actually your book. I think, is this your newest? Well, not the one that's going to be released in January, but the newest book, I Did It to Myself Again. Is that yeah, that just came out. Right. When did it come out? Um, last month, or um, yeah, about a month or so, too. Oh my goodness! Two months ago, maybe maybe April. I think it was out in April. Right, yeah. right. I know time kind of blends together right now. I know. I have no clue where I am half the time or what day it is. I thought today was Thursday for sure. Oh no! Yeah, that, yeah. that is the newest one. Um, <laughs> And that is the combination past life and life between live sessions. Oh, this is fascinating work. So why did you decide that it was time to write about specifically the aspect of of life between lives? Uh, I think it was because over the last 30 years of doing regressions, I have found that many of my clients like to blame everybody and anything for what's going on in their life now. It's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. It's my husband's fault. My wife's fault. You know, my children's fault, whatever. And I knew enough from doing this work that that I knew that they had designed this life themselves. So I was curious about that, that time period between lives when we are planning out the next lifetime. So I went and read everything that Dr. Michael Newton has written. He is the expert in the field. And I found as I was reading it, that there were things that he was saying that were contrary to what I had learned and contrary to what Casey had taught. So I thought, this is interesting. So I thought, I really want to get it. I want to figure this out on my own. I want to see... Uh, on my own, what my research would show. Because he even admits in the book, he said, this is just like a starting point and people are going to pick up on it later and take it to the next level. So I thought, um, I want to find out more about about it. So I designed this um, research project um, uh, for that purpose. First to sort of build on or challenge or take a look at the material that he had and others in the field had and compare that with with what Mr. Casey had been teaching. I also wanted to address this whole issue about blame so that people would change their perspective and see that if if they acknowledge that they designed this lifetime because this is what they needed to go through for their soul to grow, their, their whole perspective on life itself would shift significantly. So I wanted to see that. And then the third reason was I wanted to see if there was a common thread among strangers 
who describe what it feels like to die, what's the process of entering the afterlife, and what happens when you're there. So my thought was if the majority of them are saying the exact same thing or something similar, then that must be the truth. Then that must be what really happens, right? So you've got 25 people from all walks of life. Their average age is 62. I had 23 women and two men, which is unusual. I usually get more men in my research, but for some reason they weren't interested in this topic. I don't know why. But um, I wanted to see, you know, if, if you're talking about the process of dying as being feeling free and being relieved and floating and just this beautiful experience, then wouldn't people who are fearful of death be comforted by that and know that, wow, if these people are all seeing this, I'm probably going to see that too. So it won't be so traumatic as I think it's going to be. So those are my three reasons for doing it. And um, I did I did study Mr. Uh, Dr. Newton's work. I incorporated some of it into my research project in terms of the way I, uh, the different areas that I wanted to, them to visit. Uh, and then I did start with a past life regression to go to the life that was most impacting them now and then took them from the past into the present, then back out again uh, into their afterlife, into the, when they were in spirit right before coming into this life. So everything that they experienced, I documented and, 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 and put it in the, the book. Wow, that is fascinating. Um, I know in my work too, I have not uh, encountered as much between lives, but when you do, it is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, now I've noticed that the way that people describe these these times can be very different. Some will describe being with the council. Some will describe being with just their loved ones. Some describe having a machine that they look in. Some others describe, you know, having screens that you look at. Yeah. So, do you? What do you often find in this research? Um. All of the above. Uh, they. Um, it depends on the question that I'm asking. Uh, the what it feels like to die. They were all pretty much on board with the same answers there. Um, meeting up with a guide, uh, like oh, like I'd ask, do you see a gateway or an entry portal? Like when you first pass over, you know the story about Saint Peter at the pearly gates. I wanted to see if anybody saw Saint Peter. None of them did. Um, but 52% of them did see a gateway of some sort, an entry portal. And um, the rest said that they didn't, but yet they still had a starting point. So they didn't call it a gateway or an entry portal, but it was still a, a, a place for them to start. Um, they, 88% of them were greeted by a guide. You know, and the guide had been, has been with them from day one. So it could have been um, someone that they recognized from a prior lifetime, or it could have been uh, an energy, an entity that's always been in spirit and just has been like a guardian angel to them or an ascended master working with them, whatever they chose to believe. So, um, you know, they talked about, about whether they would have a conversation with that guide to talk about the previous life. Uh, and get some answers about it. Um, 
they met up with their soul members of their soul family, uh, and um, and but they went then they they went to the council of elders the cha- the chamber. I had them describe what the chamber looked like. Most of them thought it, at first they were saying it felt like a like a courtroom where they were going to be judged, and yet when they actually went through that process of working with the guides, they all said the same thing, that they were totally non-judgmental. And nobody sat there with a finger and went, you really screwed up that last lifetime. Uh, no one did that to them. Uh, they were all treated equally and with compassion and with non-judgmental love. So it was a very positive experience for them. Um, it was like, to me, meeting with the Council of Elders is like meeting with your guidance counselors at school. Because you think of earth as a school and we souls are coming into earth to learn, we have a curriculum to follow. And so the, the council of elders acting as our guidance counselors are coming up with this curriculum saying, you know, let's look at your past life. What was it that you didn't finish? What issues came up that you didn't resolve? And, you know, we'll pick a handful of them and, and put them into the the life we're designing for you, and, and that's what you'll work on. So when they're with the council, they're coming up with their karmic issues, the list. They're coming up with their karmic attributes, that list. Um, and then armed with all that information, then they go on to select their parents and to work with their their soul family uh, and seeing which of the members of their soul family will come with them into this life. Did you know that Radiate Wellness has a subscription-based premium content Facebook group? Think of it like the premium version of this free podcast. In this premium Facebook group, you can find great content like replays of online classes, meditations on angels, chakras, mindfulness, and more, guest speakers, mini classes, polls, plus you'll be the first to know of guests that we have scheduled for the podcast and can submit questions for them. You get all of this great content for one low monthly price, and the first month is half off. You can subscribe by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com shop. Click the subscriptions button, and you're in. Also, while I have your attention, wherever you're listening to this free podcast, if you could just do us a couple of favors, please. One is go to hit the subscribe or follow button. Then you'll be notified of all of the episodes we have coming out each week. Also, please rate and review. It sounds really simple, but it helps us to grow our audience when people are looking for great podcasts. And when we grow our audience, we can do bigger and better things and bring you even more great guests. So please do those couple of things, and that will help us grow this audience and this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm looking now on your website at the description of this book. I did it to myself again. Um, and one of the questions that you list is what memory triggers were you given to you to help you remember your prior life? Can you talk about that a bit? That's interesting. That's an interesting Yeah, yeah. that was at the end of the session. So they would go into what Dr. Newton called the prep class. Um, and uh, that's where they're given um, memory triggers are intangible things that are given to you 
that will remind you of the previous life. So when you come into a body, you forget about everything, right? You don't remember anything. Um, but a memory trigger is a, a deja vu experience. So it's, um, you resonate to something that you have no reason to resonate to in this life. For instance, it could be a piece of music. So if you hear this certain piece of music, it snaps you back into another, you will have the image of another life or, or something will remind you of that. It could be an aroma. It could be you, you smell something and it'll take you back. It could be um, uh, colors or certain flowers. It could be visiting a certain uh, country or state. For me, it was always Virginia. You know, I mean, I was born and raised in Chicago. And even as a child, I knew I didn't belong there. I thought, where am I and who are you people around me? <laughs> but I didn't know where home was. I, you know, my soul was yearning to be someplace else, but I didn't know where that was until I actually came here after college. Uh, so those are memory triggers. Those, those you, you know, or, or you meet somebody and you think, I think I know you or you have a sense that you know somebody. So it's, it's a sense of place, it's a sense of people. Um, so we talked about what memory triggers were you given? Some people were given really interesting ones like numbers, like sequence of numbers. And, and sure enough, they would come up either, they were birth dates of people in their family or I, I don't remember all of them, but, but I thought, Numbers was an interesting one to me, but um, animals can be, landscapes can be, some people it was crystals. Um, so um, there's a variety and it's all intended to help you. Those are the tools that you're given while you're still in spirit. So you don't, never should feel alone. I mean, you've been, you have your little backpack when you come to earth and there's things in there that if you bother to open the backpack, <laughs> you'd see that there's some, some uh, help in, in, in there for you. So yeah, that's, that's what the memory triggers are all about. Oh, that is so interesting. That is so interesting. And I think that, well, you know, you talked about how when you were a kid, you would do your hair in ringlets. That was not the style you wrote with a quill pen. That was weird. And, <laughs> Oh, yeah, but by candlelight, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And I, I signed myself up for piano lessons when I was in second grade, and my parents wouldn't let me take them, and I signed up again in third grade, and I had a teacher who was teaching classical music. So can you imagine a little third grader living on the south side of Chicago in a blue-collar neighborhood playing, you know, Mozart uh, on the piano? Um, it was, like, unheard of. So uh, yeah, it was very, uh, so, and I really wasn't supported in any of that. You know, it wasn't until I got to college and I majored in American history. And I had a professor say to me, you have the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any student I've ever had. And I thought, you know, I do. But I didn't know about, I didn't really believe that much or didn't apply that to the fact that I could have lived then. That when I was writing those essays, I'm writing them from memory, not from what I learned in his class. So, um, but that was a memory trigger um, for me. Right, absolutely. Did you ever have a regression to go back to that lifetime? Oh, many, many. Okay. So what yeah. was so special about that lifetime that you carried it forward with you so strongly? 
um, there were a lot of issues uh, in it that are too long to get into, but I met people from that life. What was, there were people that came forward and appeared in my life who then I would later discover I knew them. Um, and our interaction was uh, in this life um, was very, could be very painful at times. And other times it was very joyous. And based on all of that, working with them, because then they would remember something too. So I'll never forget when I was living in Chicago, right before, uh, I think this was in 1993, uh, a past life therapist friend of mine that I knew from the ARE, I had been working with her on my past life. And then another friend of hers, a client, had said that she was moving to Virginia and she said, why are you moving to Virginia? And she told her that she had had a past life in the Charlottesville area. And, um, and so well, wait, she said to her friend, wait a minute, before you leave, you need to meet my friend Joanne, because I think you have something in common. And so she arranged for the two of us to have a simultaneous regression. I'd never done that before, where you have two people who believe they may have shared a lifetime together, in the same regression. Um, and what was interesting about that is that I, up until that time, I had been looking for a way to, to discredit that past life, to say that it wasn't true, that I was making it up. But then when you have a person that you never met before, walk through the door and have a regression with you and remembers you, remembers details, you, you can't deny it anymore. And so that's been my journey with that lifetime of, of having synchronistic events happen where people are coming in uh, that, that knew me or I knew them and uh, playing out that karma, which, <laughs> which is not always fun, <laughs> but necessary for growth. And, and I, I am so grateful that I've had that opportunity. And I think it makes my work um, much more profound because I, I because I've been through it, and and had to process this for myself, so it's not like I'm, uh, you know, not done the work, and I'm putting my shingle out on um, saying, come in, I'll I'll work with you. So because I think that's important that you work on your own issues before you work with somebody else. So um, yeah, so it was a very interesting. I'm going to eventually write about it. Henry Bolduck, I told him about it, and he said, "You've got the past life story of the century, and you're just sitting on it." And I said, "Yes, I am. <laughs> I don't really want to. I don't have to share everything, do I?" <laughs> you know. So yeah. So that's that was my journey. Brought me to Virginia. I mean, chasing yeah. after that lifetime, I moved to Virginia with my family, and so. And I'm really happy that I'm here because this is home. This feels like home to me. Yeah. Gosh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I know I had done uh, one very tragic past life experience that I, I had no triggers to whatsoever. So this really came out of the blue um, of being a Jew in medieval Spain and being chased down the street by inquisitors and having oh, wow. lost my wife, who was my complete meaning. It was, it still just kind of makes me feel emotional. Oh. And there were so many themes in the current lifetime that were tied to that. And sure. it's powerful. It's very, very powerful. And then there's another lifetime. I know that I was in 
turn of the century uh, Paris, or at least near to it, I'm still trying to determine what that was about. So we do carry these things. And I know I had a, a boyfriend who we went to, we have the Nelson Art, Nelson Atkins Art Museum here in Kansas City, where I live. And he, he turned a corner and saw a bust from Hadrian's Wall, and he said, I know that guy. <laughs> and had this complete trigger moment. And it was, it was, I had no idea what was going on, neither did he. So we have these preferences, these long-held feelings, these, these things we're drifting toward that could be from a past life. Um, I do want to talk about your next book because it sounds really interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So could yeah. you talk about this book that's going to be coming out next January? Yeah, it's called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. Oh, my gosh. Um, so yeah. I need to just jump in for just a second. Sure. You've been mentioning Edgar Casey a lot during this episode. There may be people who don't know who that is. Okay. Edgar Casey was the most renowned um, psychic of the 20th century. Um, he, he's the father of holistic medicine, um, a mystic. He was so far ahead of his time. During his lifetime, he gave 14,000 readings. 12,000 of those were health-related readings. So people with different ailments would contact him, and he would go into a trance. Uh, he basically um, go to sleep. He didn't remember anything. People had to tell him afterwards what he said. He would go to his source. Many times that was the Akashic Records. He would be able to read them, get information, and share it. So for the first years he was doing this, the, the, the 12,000 readings he did that were health-related, um, then suddenly somebody asked him a question, uh, and he started giving past life information out. Now, Mr. Casey was a very devout Christian. He read the Bible every year of his life, one, once a year for every year of his life. He, and he was teaching um, Sunday school and everything. So when this information about the past lives started coming up and about the more esoteric topics, he got scared and he stopped doing them for a while until he got the guidance that it was okay to continue. So he gave what he, they called life reading. So when he gave a life reading, he would tell somebody about their past lives. You know, he'd say, um, in this life you gained or your soul gained or in this life your soul lost. Um, he would not give more than maybe four uh, in a reading because he didn't feel like you should work on more than that at any given time. Um, and so, and he, and he would tell you, well, things are the way they are now because this happened back then. So... If you're obese in this life, he would some woman, he said, was because you used to make fun of obese people. So sometimes it was an eye for an eye kind of a thing, you know, uh, uh, cause and effect. And he'd point that out so that you'd understand what you're dealing with. Well, anyway, Mr. Casey's secretary, Gladys Davis, uh, had a, a, a little nephew who was born uh, in June of uh, 1936. And... Um, he was born to parents who were alcoholics and were gamblers. 
And his mother had been drinking so heavily that when he was born, he said he looked like a piece of wood. And the doctor said he wouldn't last very long. So Mr. Casey told Gladys, bring him here and I'll, I'll do a, a reading on him. And in that first reading, um, first of all, he saved his life. He said, give him carnation milk and he'll be fine. And they did. And he was. Uh, he gave him his name. You know, he said, let's call him Thomas Jefferson Davis, TJ, he was referred to. And uh, then Mr. Casey gave him his four, the four past lives he had. Um, two of them were, one was in Atlantis, one was in early France. The other two were famous, and which is unusual to have more than one famous past life. One was Alexander the Great and Thomas Jefferson. Now, in that life reading, he said, this soul can do for the world what Thomas Jefferson did for this country. Now, you're putting that prediction on a two-day-old baby, right? But Mr. Casey said that can happen only if the parents raise him in the way that, that he was telling them to raise him, you know, as far as his schooling and everything. So TJ lived on and off with Mr. Casey. Uh, uh, for the first nine years of his life. Uh, I chronicle that time period in his life in the book to show what a loving relationship the two, the two of them had. They had been together in many other lifetimes, along with Gladys. And, um, but Mr. Casey would take TJ out of the pier and they'd go fishing behind the house. And that's where he taught him. He taught him about reincarnation. He taught him how to read auras. Uh, he told him the creation story. This was like his little classroom. So you see this little boy, there's pictures of him out on the pier with Mr. Casey, they're out there fishing. He was pouring all this knowledge into this little boy because he, he felt like he was gonna do something great in the future for the world, what Jefferson did for this country. Well, um, Mr. Casey died when TJ was not quite nine, well, he was like eight and a half years old. He never got a second reading, which Casey said he was going to give him when he was 13. He never got that. And then his parents just didn't follow Casey's advice at all. So his life took a different path. The trajectory of his soul, you know, was at a crossroads, and then it went in a different direction. And he became very much, um, you know, um, sort of a recluse, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, he wasn't, he, he wasn't someone that um, was very much admired at all. And he never got the upbringing that he needed or the information that he needed to do these great things. But that weighed heavy on his, on his mind. He's still alive. He lives here in Charlottesville. We're good friends. Um, but so I spent eight years. What I wanted to do was I wanted to sort of vindicate him and say why he didn't do what Casey said he would could possibly do. So I spent eight years going back and forth to the ARE, to the Edgar Casey Foundation's archives, to the library there. And I would be pulling out his file and files of all the people around him. And then I sandwiched everything together to show how his life unfolded and why, you know, he didn't fulfill the, the, the prophecy. So, um, so that book will be out in um, 
in January. Uh, Ozark Mountain Publishing is publishing it. Uh, and um, there'll be pictures in it of, of uh, TJ as a child. And you see him now, he looks remarkably like Thomas Jefferson. And so living here in Charlottesville, where Jefferson lived, you know, his home here in, in Charlotte, he lives up on a, uh, on a mountaintop, and he said he could see Monticello, Jefferson's home, from where he lives. So can you imagine? So those stories are all in there about what that's been like for him. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty fascinating story, uh, you know. Uh, and I, I've always found him to be uh, an incredibly intriguing person. If you want to have dinner with, uh, with one person who's fascinating, it would be him for sure. But, you know, um, it just shows too that, that when you're doing past lives, if you've had a, a famous past life in which you've accomplished greatness, doesn't mean you're going to do that in the next life. It's an up and down you know, depending on what your soul's working on. So, um, so anyway, I thought this was the great work of my life was to vindicate this man, or not vindicate, but at least to present his, his story about how his soul doesn't always, you know, it's not this upward uh, trajectory all the time and, uh, um, and, and what happened to him. Right. And just because we have a soul path doesn't mean we always follow it. We have free will. Others around us have free will. Right. It's just one of the possibilities. Right. Right. When you get a map, you can take this way to get there, this way to get there. We have, there's so many variables as well. Um, do you know Steve Burgess? Steve Burgess. I don't believe he's so. a hip, He's a hypnotherapist in um, England. And he will be, he's, I've also interviewed him for the podcast and he will have come out before we've had this discussion, um, that he did write a book about celebrity past lives. Oh, he did. Interesting. He did. Very interesting. Um, and not, I think, not quite what we think. I mean, it's not like the Cleopatra or the Napoleon, but these are, yes, celebrities and well-known people, but not as well-known as, as somebody, somebody like that. Um, of course, this, this is something that we always think, oh, I've had these past lives. I feel like I was... Cleopatra, I feel like I was this famous person, but that's not necessarily so. You could have seen them. You could have been a contemporary of them. Like with when they say that they think they're Napoleon, I say, well, are you looking at the world from atop your horse? Is it, come, is it you looking or are you standing back and seeing him on a horse and you're just identifying with him? So there's a lot of, the people that are really, truly somebody famous are the most humble people you'll ever want to meet. They don't go around bragging about who they had been. Um, and, but I do have a lot of people coming to me thinking ahead of time that there's somebody famous. And you know that 99% of the people are Jane Doe's and John Smith's. I mean, we have very ordinary lives, but somebody had to have a famous past life. Those souls are still around, right? I had one woman who came to me. She says, I believe I was Patrick Henry. I said, you do? Why do you believe that? She says, because he could talk well and so can I. Based on that, and I thought, knowing from my own experience, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, but, you know, I don't negate anybody's experience. And, and, uh, but, it, but it is true that uh, I have somebody that came to me who said he was uh, Stonewall Jackson. Mm. Well, he looks just exactly like him, and he's uh, 
when he first came into my office, he was barefoot and had a, 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 a Confederate cap on. And, um, and I asked him why, and he goes, well, this is to honor the, the troops. And, uh, and, and I've done a lot of work with him, and I think he's the real deal. Um, but, um, but they're very few and far between. And, uh, and like I said, they're, they're very humble people. Um, but, uh, but boy, if you want to know what history really is about, instead of revisionist history, talk to somebody who lived in that time period, because they'll tell you exactly how it was. And that's why the historian me finds the past life work so very inviting because it, it satisfies, uh, both areas of my interest, interest in history and interest in soul development. So, Right. I yes, I agree. Yeah, I'm also an amateur history buff. I don't have a degree in it, but certainly very interested. And one of my clients had a lifetime as Eliza Warnell, who you would not know, but here in Kansas City, we've got Warnell Road, and then there's the Warnell House, and um, her father had started a, a very important mission for the Shawnee children. Uh, that's a whole other story, but it was a very important site of the Civil War. And so kind of a local celebrity. But yes, those people lived too. And so of course they would have future incarnations too. Right, right. Um, but yeah, most of the time, they're just people who have lived simple lives. And just getting the stories is fascinating. Yeah. I love hearing and Mr. Casey did Mr. Casey did a lot of readings on people who had been famous in, in uh, previous lifetimes because it would make sense that those souls would want to go to him you know to have a, to have a reading at that time. He died in 1945 uh, so uh, and I don't believe there's anybody quite like him since. so um, it'd be wonderful if there were but right that hasn't been the case. Well, I love that this new book that you've got coming out next January, January combines your study of Edgar Casey and then also your study of past lives. It's a mm -hmm. wonderful way to bridge that. Yeah. Right? And you do consider yourself a writer and an author. Right. Right. So you've written several books and um, articles as well. Yeah, and I've got so many books. I tell people, because since I'm from Chicago, I use a Chicago analogy. I say, I've got books circling my head like planes at O'Hare waiting for to come in for a landing. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I say to Spirit, you know, how much time do I have to get these done? Because, you know, an average book takes a couple of years to put together. I think the Life Between Life book I was able to do in about a year and a half but like the, the book on Mr. Casey and T.J. Davis, uh, Jefferson book, took eight years to pull together. So, um, so I do have quite a few others. I want to do a, a book about spirituality and the Beatles because I was a Beatles fan club president <laughs> back in the day. Um, and I, I, I'm just so curious about whether, you know, how much of the spirituality that my generation is feeling came from a seed that was planted back then. So uh, I wanted to do that. And uh, you had mentioned about Cleopatra. Uh, I am writing a book about the top questions that are asked about re about uh, reincarnation. And I'm going to call, I'm going to title it. Uh, Why are there so many Cleopatras? <laughs> so uh, and that'll be one of the chapters will be on um, famous past lives. So yeah, so uh, there's a lot that I want to do. And, and uh, 
but they're all labors of love for me. And I'm, I'm always so thrilled to share them with people like you and your listeners. And um, it's just been a very fulfilling part of my life. Oh, yeah, you certainly have a wide body of work. Again, referring to your website, which is joannedimaggio.com. I'll put this in the show notes. You offer regression services, uh, soul writing services, lectures, because you're an avid lecturer, um, as well as the books. Right, and I'm doing sessions on Zoom and Skype now, so if people are interested, um, just contact me. Wonderful. That was my next question. Whether yeah. it's online? Yeah, yeah. Just started. I didn't think I. I didn't think I could do them. I, I questioned because I always was doing everything one on one, you know. But uh, uh, I've heard from other therapists that they've been doing them on Zoom and they're being very successful. And I tried it, and they are. So it's just like you know, uh, being at home is making people a lot more relaxed. Uh, and it's been working fabulously. So um, I'm offering that. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I, as you know, I told you before, I do quantum healing hypnosis technique, which has to be done in person. And there are reasons for that. But I also do introspective, which can be in it, which I learned so I could do it online. It's just as effective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the way we're going now anyway. So uh, many of the conferences I'm going to be speaking at in the next couple of months are all going to be virtual. So instead of me traveling and standing in front of an audience of how many people, uh, which I love doing, I love the energy uh, of that, um, they're going to be on Zoom. So I'm an old dog and I'm learning new tricks. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) We're all being forced with doing that right now. We are. We are. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you feel is really important to talk about your body of work, about uh, what you would like us to know about between lives or even past lives? Well, I think that one of the main questions I get when a person comes in for a past life regression is that they're, they're lost in that they don't know what their purpose is. Why am I here? Um, especially now. You know, you're getting the question, why am I here now? And especially when I say, well, you chose that. You chose to be here. And there's a lot of reasons why you're here now. You know, it could be that you're going to serve, uh, you're going to serve others. They're going to watch the way you react and how you uh, process all of this. And they're going to learn something from, from that. Um, it's going to, you're going to be part of the, the group that's going to help people to the next level. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why you're here. You know, you can, uh, you can ignite an entire movement, you know, as what we're seeing happening lately. Um, so uh, why are you here? Well, let's look at that. Let's look at what your soul's ideal is, what Mr. Casey called an ideal. Uh, and mine is to empower and inspire through the written word. So I help people to define that. When they, see, when they go through the regression and they work with the elders, I'll say, well, why you tell me now why you're here. And they're usually able to, to say in one sentence what, what their purpose is. Once they know that, they're, they, they move quickly into the next level. So um, find out who you are. Who's, who are you on? Who's your authentic self? Uh, and, um, you know, and I think it's a very enlightening uh, that's where we get all the aha moments in this work. When they connect the dots, 
it's it's just absolutely you just sit back and just enjoy the 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 pure joy of, uh, on their faces when they like aha I know now I know um, so yeah so finding your purpose why you're here understanding how you came to decide that you were going to do this and then just do it just do it so yeah that's about. So if anyone wants to schedule an appointment to do one of these sessions, go see Joanne. She's been doing this a very, very long time. JoanneDiMaggio.com. Thank you, Joanne, so much for sitting and talking with me and sharing your stories. Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed, I feel like we're in the living room with each other and having a nice conversation. Thank you for that. Thank you. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.